and you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Coming to you from the shores of the Indian River on Florida's beautiful Treasure Coast. And bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story. Here to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at, and illusion is usually king. We're streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. And you can follow me on Twitter at RightNowJimDogs. Shoot me an email. The address is rightnowjimdaws at gmail.com. Or call the vent line and get something off your chest at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. Well, I don't know how I'm going to go on with today's show. I've been, I've just been uh, in a state of uh, panic since Tuesday night when Joe Biden informed me of something that I was totally unaware of, and that is since 1970, 150 million people, was it a million or a billion? It was a million. 150 million people in this country have been victims of gun violence, killed. And at first I thought this must have been just another one of old Joe's gaffes. That couldn't be true, could it? But none of the moderators uh, asked him to about that or corrected him, and none of the other candidates on stage corrected him. So it must be true. And ever since then, I've been just having to reevaluate my whole worldview, sort of uh, having to withdraw from the media. I, I did check the pages of the New York Times and the Washington Post and uh, CNN and MSNBC. They didn't make there was there was no story on there, so I just assumed that this was a, uh, a a fact that I was unaware of, and then it occurred to me that if about half of this country's population has been murdered by guns since 1970, that that means the other half of us must have committed the murders. It wasn't me. But now I'm afraid to go out of the house because half the people out, well, I guess all the people out there on the street, the vast majority of them would have been responsible for killing their federal, their fellow citizens. And, and, and my question is, where are the police in all of this? Why haven't they made any arrests? <laughs> oh, man, it's unbelievable. You know, if Donald Trump had made a statement like that, it would have been front page headlines. Above the fold, they would have broke out the wood, the, the, the largest headlines that they're able to produce. And they would have been beating Donald Trump with that for days and days. Oh, so uh, I, I've noticed a, a, a real spike in our listenership in the past week or so. And for, to, for the new listeners, I just want to welcome you and, uh, and sort of describe what we do here. We've got uh, a a show that it's a one hour show every day that is just chuck full of useful insights, deep dives into the news and uh, politics of the day. We have very few commercials compared to terrestrial radio or um, uh, the the cable channels. 
and we we don't compromise. We have no corporate masters that uh, that sort of keep a rein on what we're allowed to talk about and what we're not allowed to talk about. I kind of think of this show as a way to get your news and politics sort of like um, a strong, full-flavored, fine bourbon served neat. It's We don't have all the fluff. We don't have all of the foolishness. We get directly to the news, and we cover it in depth every day, and we're glad to have you on board as a listener. So yesterday, the president held a press conference in the briefing room on the coronavirus, and this was uh, an effort to try to calm the nation and assure the nation after these uh, days of Democrats' attacks and trying to politicize this issue that the administration, yes, was being proactive, but that um, the president uh, is trying to reassure the public that uh, not only do we have this thing under uh, control as best it can be, but that there's no reason to panic that, in fact, we do have viruses, uh, and this one is um, is on par with the seasonal flu. An example of the Democrats trying to politicize this and freak everybody out is Eric Holder, Attorney General under Barack Obama, took to Twitter yesterday and said, does anyone think that if there were a consequential national security slash economic crisis, that this administration has the intellectual capacity and policy acumen to navigate the nation through it. He says the, the answer, frighteningly, is no. Now we have coronavirus, and they have no idea. So this is a former cabinet member in the Obama administration uh, taking to Twitter to try to panic everybody. And and the panic uh, has been successful. It caused the Dow Jones uh, industrial averages to fall by about 6%, the largest point sell-off in the market's history. As a percentage of the market, it was about 7% over two days. But yesterday, the market stabilized. They uh, Both the Dow Jones and the S&P were down, but just slightly and it looks like um, the markets have sort of hit their floor in, in regards to the coronavirus, at least for now. And if you were thinking about uh, getting into the market, you got to buy low in order to sell high. And uh, now may be the time to, uh, to get in and, and start uh, looking for some deals. But the Democrats, including Nancy Schumer, uh, Nancy Schumer, <laughs> that would be a Frankenstein monster. Uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have uh, have used this opportunity to try to score political points, claiming that the president has no plan and that, uh, you know, uh, we need to elect Democrats in order to protect us from a virus. So Trump held his news conference yesterday and uh, and responded to uh, Nancy and Chuck's attacks. Um, it, it wasn't the exact right way to go about it, I don't think. Probably should have uh, 
uh, stayed out of politics, but you know that's not what this president does. If you hit him, he's going to hit you back, and he did that yesterday. What is your response to Speaker Pelosi who said earlier today that you don't know what you're talking about about the coronavirus? I'm also wondering if you want to address critics who well, I think, can't be trusted yeah, sure. what your administration is saying. Sure. I think Speaker Pelosi's incompetent. She lost the Congress once. I think she's going to lose it again. You know, she lifted my poll numbers up 10 points. I never thought that I would see that so quickly and so easily. Uh, I'm leading everybody. We're doing great. I don't want to do it that way. It's almost unfair if you think about it. But I think she's incompetent, and I think she's not thinking about the country. And instead of making a statement like that, where I've been beating her routinely at everything, uh, instead of making a statement like that, she should be saying we have to work together because we have a big problem potentially, and maybe it's going to be a very little problem. I hope that it's going to be a very little problem. But we have to work together. Instead, she wants to do that same thing with Brian Chuck Schumer. He goes out and he says, uh, the president only asked for two and a half billion dollars. He should have eight and a half billion. This is the first time I've ever been told that we should take more. Usually it's we have to take less. And we should be working together. He shouldn't be making statements like that because it's so bad for the country. And Nancy Pelosi, I mean, she should go back to a district and clean it up because it's the number one. If you look at percentage down, that was one of the finest in the world. And now you look at what's happening. And I'm just saying we should all be working together. So what the president said there was absolutely right. They should set aside partisan differences and work together. And the Democrats uh, first were first, you know, to attack the president and try to weaponize this uh, this outbreak by one um, hyping uh, the effects or, or the the current situation in this country and two claiming that the president had no plan. Nothing could have been further from the truth. The administration took swift action in order to secure entry from uh, people from the affected areas. And he took a lot of heat for that. The uh, uh, Chinese communist government and their mouthpieces and handmaidens and the American media and politics called Trump a racist said that he was closing the border because of, of uh, an Asian scare. But that was successful in limiting the exposure in this country. And, uh, and we've got, according to the president yesterday, just 45 confirmed cases. And most of those are, uh, are getting better. I think there's five more uh, that are still symptomatic. But during his speech, he, uh, he appointed... Uh, Vice President Mike Pence as uh, to to lead this effort. Of course, he's taken heat for that because uh, Pence is not a public health professional, but he is uh, a leader, and and you don't have to be a pro- public health professional in order to coordinate uh, the the uh, public health community uh, in response to this. He has some experience, as the president cited, dealing with um, with a similar. Uh, I think it was the avian flu outbreak in, in um, Indiana. Here's a clip of Mike Pence um, talking about the path forward. President Trump's made clear from the first days of this administration, we have no higher priority than the safety, security, health, and well-being of the American people. And from the first word of an outbreak of the coronavirus, the president took unprecedented steps to protect uh, the American people from the spread of this disease. He recounted those 
briefly, but uh, the establishment of travel restrictions, uh, aggressive quarantine effort of Americans that are returning, declaration of a public health emergency and establishing uh, the White House Corona Task Force are all reflective of the urgency that the president has brought to a whole-of-government approach. Um, as a uh, former governor uh, from the state where the first MERS case MERS. Uh, emerged in 2014, uh, I know full well uh, the importance of presidential leadership, the importance of administration leadership, and the vital role of partnerships of state and local governments and health authorities in responding to the potential threat of dangerous infectious diseases. Uh, and I, uh, uh, I look forward, uh, Mr. President, to uh, serving uh, in this role and bringing together uh, all the members of the Corona Task Force that you've established, HHS, CDC, DHS, the Department of Transportation, and State. Uh, this team has been at your direction, Mr. President, meeting every day since it was established. Uh, my role will be to continue to uh, uh, bring that team together, uh, to bring to the president uh, uh, the best options for action to see to the safety and well-being and health of the American people. So on yesterday's show, I, I said that now would be a good time to go ahead and make sure that you're stocked up on food uh, you know, and rice and dried beans and pastas and other things that have long shelf lives so that uh, you can avoid any panic buying. Uh, I, I wasn't saying that in order to try to predict a wider outbreak, uh, but rather to just try to be prepared in, in uh, the case of that eventuality. And I want to also encourage you to run on over to uh, my store, AmericaFirstRadio.shop. And get yourself a supply of these banana bag oral solutions that uh, prevent or treat dehydration from illnesses or medical conditions. Uh, you do not want to find yourself in a situation where you've become dehydrated due to illness and have to go to the hospital. The last place you want to be in the, in the case of a wider outbreak would be in a hospital. This uh, banana bag oral solution contains high doses of vitamin B complex, vitamin C's, electrolytes. It's a powdered blend uh, that uh, will rehydrate you. It's got no preservatives, no artificial colors or sweeteners. It's uh, non-GMO and gluten-free. Go over there and get yours today. We've got free same-day shipping at AmericaFirstRadio.shop. That's AmericaFirstRadio.shop. Get your banana bag oral solution for yourself and your family. You can get five packs of this for $15.50 with free shipping and get yours today. So I was pretty impressed by Pence yesterday. I think he's grown a lot uh, in this this office. And, uh, you know, when he, he was first appointed, I thought he was sort of a lackluster choice by the president, but uh, like with a lot of things, the president has proven me wrong, and I think Pence has really uh, stepped up and grown in this position and is well positioned to be uh, a successor to the Trump administration in 2024. Uh, also, on yesterday's show, I mentioned a clip uh, of uh, a, a guy named Stephen Mosier that was appearing on. Uh, Tucker Carlson's show uh, talking about the origins of the coronavirus. And I was pointing out that that uh, that particular clip had been scrubbed 
from the Fox News website, well, uh, the listener Tyler Budd, my bud Tyler Budd, emailed me. He had found the clip and, uh, and pointed me to it, and I want to play it for you now. Come on, clip. So this is one of those topics Hello, that nobody Tyler. wants to touch. Um, but because we don't actually know where it came from, um, in point of fact, I think it's worth exploring all potential explanations. Tell us why you think it's possible this virus escaped from a lab. Well, I think I think it escaped from the lab because uh, we have the Chinese government basically telling us that it did. Uh, let me be specific on uh, uh, the 14th, uh, President for Live Xi Jinping held a meeting at which he talked about the need to increase biosecurity lab safety at, uh, at uh, biological research laboratories. If that wasn't clear enough, the following day, the very next day, the Ministry of Science and Technology produced a long document uh, entitled uh, Restrictions on Strengthening Biosecurity Management in Microbiology Labs that Handle Advanced Viruses Like the Novel Coronavirus like the novel coronavirus, they're strengthening the handling of dangerous pathogens and viruses in the middle of an epidemic, which suggests what? That they mishandled the virus that they were experimenting on in their lab in Wuhan. Wuhan is a only level four laboratory in all of China. So that's where you would put a dangerous pathogen. Whether you were genetically engineering it to be a weapon or not, that's where you would be experimenting on it. So it makes sense that the epicenter of the epidemic, that the lab there would be the source of that virus. And the other thing, how would it get out of the lab? Most people would think, well, a technician got infected through poor lab procedure and then walked out on the street, infected his family and friends and so forth. But there's another way it could have gotten out of the lab because we know that, that uh, in China, some researchers, not all, but some researchers have actually taken their lab animals after they're done experimenting with them, after they've been infected with various viruses and so forth. If the lab animals aren't dead, they take the bats and the rats and the snakes and everything to the local fresh meat market and sell them on the fresh meat market to make extra money. So the virus may have passed to human beings by that means uh, through the, the, the avenue, the vector of someone's stomach. Well, I think that last little bit that Stephen Mosier called out about the possibility of, uh, you know, uh, laboratory employees taking these animals out was probably what got that clip scrubbed from Fox News uh, posting of Tucker Carlson's show. I think that was Monday evening. But, um, you know, the question is whether or not we should be panicked or we should be calm. And I would argue that the, the truth is somewhere in between. We should be calm, but we should be prepared. And that's what I'm trying to encourage my listeners to do is to be prepared for the worst and hope for the best. And that's what the president, that's the response that he was urging yesterday in, um, in coordination and, uh, in, uh, in league or in uh, tandem with his efforts to secure the borders and make sure that we have as little exposure as possible. Now you compare that with the, uh, the Democrats, and the globalists and the uh, ideologues and these uh, these bureaucrats at the United Nation, their response that they would argue is that the United States uh, should be keeping America's borders open to the world. While this uh, deadly virus has spread across the globe, the Atlantic 
a writer named James Harblin wrote that the U.S. should actually be considering opening its borders instead. Italy, Iran, and South Korea are now among the countries reporting quickly growing numbers of detected coronavirus, he said. Many countries have responded with attempts to contain, despite the dubious efficacy and inherent harms of China's historically unprecedented crackdown. Certain containment measures, he said, will be appropriate, but widely banning travel, closing down cities, and hoarding resources are not realistic solutions for an outbreak that lasts years. All of these measures will come at risks of their own. Ultimately, some pandemic responses will require opening borders, not closing them. At some point, the expectation that any area will escape the effects must be abandoned, and the disease must be seen as everyone's problem. No. And and that's the same argument that a lot of Democrats have been making as they've hurled accusations of racism at this president. It's just the opposite. Um, Countries like the United States who have oceans protecting them from Asia and Europe should take advantage of that uh, geographical blessing and, uh, and do everything it can to limit our exposure in order to, uh, to keep this a lid on this so that our public safety health professionals can, um, can have a fighting chance. Josh Hawley, uh, who I hope uh, will be president one day, was appearing on Fox, and he pointed out uh, the, the biggest uh, hazard with regard to all of this and, uh, and the dangers of linking our economy and our well-being to communist I'm China. I'm introducing legislation today that will help bring our medical supply chains back out of China here to the United States. My mm-hmm. big concern is when it comes to our vaccines and our antibiotics, too many of them are in China. This has happened over decades. Other administrations have let those drugs go to China, let those supply chains go to China. We need to bring them home. I'm introducing legislation today. That, that, will- that is the big foolishness of it. That is exposing um, the the globalist fallacies that we can be dependent on other nations for our own well-being, especially when that other nation in this case is a communist dictatorship. But Trump, at the end of his news conference, when he was answering questions from the assembled baying uh, hyenas, pointed out uh, a the most productive thing that you can do in response to this coronavirus. Are there be of their behaviors? No, I think you have to always, you know, I do it a lot anyway, as you probably heard, wash your hands, stay clean. You don't have to necessarily grab every handrail unless you have to. You know, you do certain things that you do when you have the flu. I mean, view this the same as the flu. When somebody sneezes, I mean, I try and bail out as much as possible with this sneezing. I had a man come up to me a week ago. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And... I said, how are you doing? He said, fine, fine. He, he hugs me. Kiss me. I said, are you well? He says, no. <laughs> he said, I have the worst fever and the worst flu. And he's hugging and kissing me. So I said, excuse me. I went there. I started washing my hands. 
So you have to do that. You know, this is, I, I really think, Doctor, you want to treat this like you treat the flu, right? And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be. And that was, in fact, exactly the uh, same advice that the public health professionals. Limit your exposure. Wash your hands. Keep your hands away from your face. Don't go to, uh, to large gatherings. And I would argue also prepare for the worst by going ahead and putting in supplies now, including face masks, including this banana bag oral solution, and everything you're going to need if, in fact, you need to stay in your house for a long period of time. But we got to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to look at the Democrat race in South Carolina right after these messages on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. As you make plans this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. Old Bernie Sanders, he cannot stop himself from praising these communist dictators, Castro and, and Maduro and Chavez. He is, uh, he's got a long history of this, and instead of trying to soften you know, his past statements, he's just doubling down. He recently reiterated his pra- praise of uh, Fidel Castro, saying that, uh, you know, yes, he was a, uh, a dictator, and yes, he imprisoned political dissidents, and yes, he murdered about 100,000 people in the communist nation of, of Cuba. But he did increase the literacy rates, so so that's just a fact. And you know, Bernie Sanders uh, has to know that this is not doing his prospects any good. And it occurred to me, maybe maybe old Bernie doesn't want to be president. Maybe this is just all some sort of scam. And. Also, it occurred to me that maybe these people that are, you know, declaring their their love of this socialist prescription that Bernie's peddling, maybe they don't really believe it either. Maybe they just like to think of themselves as revolutionaries. 
And, uh, and this will get, give them the opportunity to go ahead and vote for this when they know that Bernie is, even if he gets the Democrat nomination, that wouldn't stand a chance of winning a general election running around saying all this. They can keep their Trump derangement syndrome card at the same time, not risking, uh, you know, electing a Democrat so that they can, you know, continue to, to keep this economy rolling. That's just a, a theory I have. I, I don't know if that's the case. In the House of Representatives yesterday, they passed a, uh, a bill banning lynching. And uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post were all over that. They called this a historic accomplishment. And this bill was, uh, was uh, sponsored by Bobby Rush, another committed communist. I think Bobby Rush is, uh, is from Chicago. He is, uh, you know, part of that same milieu there in Chicago that uh, produced Barack Obama, whose real father is uh, Frank Marshall Davis, a communist organizer from Chicago that uh, went to, um, you know, spread the the communist ideology in Hawaii. And then when, as, as soon as Barack Obama came of age, where did he run to, to, uh, practice his, his ideology? None other than Chicago. There's a, a long history of a communist hotbed there in Chicago, the home to the communist party USA, by the way. But yesterday in the house of representatives, they passed this, uh, this bill making lynching illegal <laughs> as if lynching hadn't been illegal all along. Yes. Uh, there was a period of lynching. It wasn't just black people. It was, uh, it was a period of, of, um, you know, before we had such widespread law enforcement, uh, uh, citizens would take the law into their own hands and, uh, and become vigilantes often dispensing, um, justice themselves. And often, you know, they hung innocent people. But they were always breaking the law and, and, uh, the lynching, um, you know, the laws were enforced, but they put together a, a lynching bill yesterday and they were telling us that this is a, a huge accomplishment that, that lynching is finally illegal. Now, these are the same, uh, Democrats, by the way, that, um, refused to bring to the floor a bill that would allow would would require doctor doctors to provide life-saving measures for any baby that's born alive after a botched abortion that actually happens in this country that's actually uh, a a real moral issue but no the democrats right ahead of the election or or again trying to cultivate this victim mentality and so Bobby Rush, the Chicago communist, has uh, has passed a bill in the House. I doubt that it'll be taken up in the Senate. Outlawing lynching. You know, when I was watching the uh, Democrat debate on Tuesday evening, 
and watching all of these uh, these Democrats falling all over themselves, trying to pander to the white vote and cultivate this um, this sense of victimhood. You know, it just occurred to me that there's nothing like watching a bunch of white Democrats calling Republicans a bunch of racists after those same Democrats have chased all the blacks, Hispanics, and Asians off of the stage. You had all of the remaining field of Democrats are white. So apparently the black vote or the, uh, the Democrat voters are uninterested in voting for a black or other, um, racial minority, uh, in the Democrat primaries. So Biden, uh, Biden got a, uh, a boost yesterday in South Carolina because he secured the um, the endorsement of South Carolina's top representatives in the House. Jim Clyburn came out and endorsed Joe Biden. He said, I know Joe Biden. I know his character. I know his heart and his record. Joe Biden stood for the hardworking people of South Carolina. We know Joe and he knows us. What he did not mention and what the media showed no interest whatsoever in is this, uh, this same uh, Representative Clyburn is a, uh, is a supporter of the anti-Semitic, Hitler-praising, Islamic terrorist-worshipping, anti-gay, anti-white racist Louis Farrakhan. James Clyburn attended a 2011 event with Farrakhan and shared a stage with him, even after Jewish groups had voiced their opposition to Clyburn attending. Clyburn told the Final Call, which is the Nation of Islam's newspaper. Uh, if you if you're familiar with any uh, cities with a sizable black population, you'll see them on the corner selling fruit in these newspapers. Clyburn said, "I am not bothered at." in the least little bit by criticisms of his attendance at the event. I have fought all my life to advance the cause of social justice and equality and have always opposed bigotry in all forms, Clyburn said. And his office has repeatedly refused to make comment on it since. So at the same time, these Democrats are calling um, Republicans, racists. You've got the third highest ranking Democrat in the House of Representatives endorsing the establishment Democrat candidate who accepted it gratefully, attending events with Louis Farrakhan and saying that he's perfectly comfortable with it. Here's a little clip, a recent clip of Calypso Louis uh, addressing his uh, Nation of Islam there in Chicago. America's going to go to war. They killed Qasem Soleimani. And America is so powerful, she has the right to define others. Here's Qasem Soleimani. I think we met him when we were in Iran. Mr. Trump killed my brother. 
Qasem Soleimani. <laughs> I mean, really? You know, where is the mainstream media insisting that all the Democrats renounce Louis Farrakhan? Why aren't they insisting that uh, Representative Clyburn renounce this rabid racist? You know, I just have to wonder how much longer the blacks in this country are going to fall for this new Democrat plantation for the longest time after the Civil War and up until the 30s, African-Americans were Republicans. FDR busted through all that when he made this devil's bargain uh, by offering government benefits free stuff for votes, much the same way that Bernie Sanders is doing now. And for the black community, that's turned out to be an absolute disaster. It's made them dependent on government. It's destroyed the black family. It's destroyed black businesses. And now, despite their repeated accusations of racism against Donald Trump, the Republican Party has been moving aggressively to restore the economic health of the black community. And uh, and I think he's making real headway in convincing black people that they have nothing left to lose, that the Democrats' interest is keeping them down on the plantation, not lifting them up. So here's a clip of Kaylee McInerney pointing out um, something that offers real hope in this regard, and that is that uh, more and more blacks and other minorities are showing up at these Trump rallies. And you contrast that with what I saw on the ground in Las Vegas Mm -hmm. at the president's rally. Thousands of people outside. They couldn't get in. We didn't have enough seats. 27% who registered were black and Latino. President Trump won 8%. That's that's really interesting. It's nearly a third. Nearly a third. And 32. Black and Latino, the president's rally. That's right. We're black and Latino. And finally, 32% did not vote in 2016. It's extraordinary. So that does offer real hope. You know, the, the, the Democrats' whole business model, their whole political model depends on a solid black voting block over 90% of voting for them. If they fall down to 80%, the Democrat party as it's currently constituted will become unviable. And that's why they're so desperate to keep blacks down on the plantation by telling them constantly that they're victims, that the Ku Klux Klan is in ascendancy and that um, that vote for us and we'll give you more free stuff. In South Carolina, we're hearing more and more blacks step forward and say, this is uh, this is really uh, no longer working. I think Biden feels that um, blacks going to vote for him just because of Obama. That's a given. And uh, he thinks he thinks that's a given. And we don't all think alike. So don't put us in in a box. And I feel like that's what Biden is doing to blacks in South Carolina. Well, what he's doing is he's taking their votes for granted. He's saying, you voted for us. We own you. He, as a matter of fact, in one of his debates, he said, I've got more blacks than you. I think he was uh, telling that to Tom Steyer, who is busy uh, employing the walking around cash model of campaigning there in South Carolina by buying 
the endorsements of black community leaders. Well, the Trump campaign, not the administration, but the Trump campaign is suing the New York Times. New York Times published an op-ed. They had an article that was under the uh, opinion section, but which made statements as fact that the New York Times knew was wrong, that the writer of the op-ed knew was wrong. And they're characterizing this now as an attack on the First Amendment. Hey, don't, uh, don't try to sue us over an opinion. The problem is, at the New York Times and the Washington Post and the LA Times and even in the Wall Street Journals, more and more, the lines between the reporting in the newspapers and the opinion sections have become completely blurred when they put more and more opinions as real news and more and more real or more and more fake uh, things represented as fact in the opinion section. At Trump's news conference yesterday, O'Brien Kareem, who is probably along with Jim Acosta, uh, the most unhinged so-called reporter on the White House beat, took the opportunity of the president's news conference on the coronavirus to attack him with a, a, a statement just vaguely disguised as a question defending the New York Times. Is it your opinion or is it your contention that if people have an opinion contrary to yours that they should be sued? Well, when they get the opinion totally wrong, as the New York Times did, and frankly, they've got a lot wrong over the last number of years. So we'll see how that, let that work its way through the courts. If you read it, you'll see it's beyond an opinion. That's not an opinion. That's something much more than an opinion. They did a bad thing, uh, and there'll be more coming. So what this op did was state things as fact, and the things that they stated as fact was that the the president uh, colluded with Russia, something that's been completely debunked. He stated it as fact, even though they knew it was false, and then he offered his opinion on that uh, on that bit of fake news. So I, I don't have any issue. I'm a big First Amendment supporter, but I don't have any issue with this lawsuit. This article, this uh, so-called opinion column was, in fact, libelous against the president and purposely so. And the, the media can whine all they want to about press freedoms under attack. But it's their fault for completely, you know, they used to fact check opinion articles. Now they don't even fact check the, uh, the, the hard news sections of the paper, and it's their own fault for becoming these Russia conspiracy lunatics and, uh, and continuing to promulgate these, uh, these blatant falsehoods that they know are false, that they're weaponizing and, and propagandizing. Hey, we got to run out to break. Stick with us. We'll be right back after this one commercial message. If you are trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. 
They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 800-957-6209. 800-957-6209. That's 800-957-6209. Well, on Monday's show, we covered the story of Philip Haney, a former DHS official that was a whistleblower in the Obama administration and pointed out uh, that the administration had instructed the FBI to destroy a list of radicalized uh, Muslims in this country that the Department of Homeland Security was monitoring, and that at least two members off of that list went on to uh, commit mass uh, murders, and that was uh, at the Pulse nightclub down here in uh, Florida, in Orlando. He was a member of a mosque that the Department of Homeland Security was monitoring in Fort Pierce. And also uh, of the uh, of the uh, Muslim that committed the mass murder out in I think it was San Bernardino, California, at that uh, at that government. Um, get together. I think it was 29 that were killed out there. He and his wife. And I said during that story on Monday that, uh, Philip Haney's death had been ruled a suicide and that, um, it, they were too quick to do that, especially in light of the fact that Haney had told everyone that, uh, he was not suicidal and that if he ever, uh, came up dead to do not accept any stories that it was a suicide. Well, it turns out that, uh, that coverage may have been uh, premature because now the sheriff of Amador County there in Northern California, Martin Ryan has come out and said, no, this is not a closed case. And we have made no determination. Floor Amador County, this is Amador County Sheriff Coroner Martin Ryan uh, with an update on an investigation that we're currently conducting. This concerns the death of Philip Haney, which occurred on Friday uh, the 21st uh, in our county. Uh, Mr. Haney was found uh, next to his vehicle uh, with what appeared to be a single gunshot wound. Uh, our responding officers uh, assessed the scene based on the totality of information that they had at the time um, and said that it apparently was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. No determination has been made as the actual cause of his death at this point. Um, I must say that the role of the coroner in California is to determine the cause and manner of any death of this type, and that's exactly what we're doing. The initial assessment by the deputies arriving on the scene and their supervisor is a start of an investigation. It is not the end, and we have not made any conclusions as to the cause and manner of death. Well, that is good news, and I hope that they dig deeply into this, and I hope that uh, this investigation is free of uh, political influence. My biggest concern with this is that uh, Haney uh, had a lot going on in his life. He was engaged to be married. He had a book that was ready to publish, and he he is supposed to have shot himself in the chest 
as a former a career firefighter, I've been on a lot of uh, suicides and attempted suicides, and I've, pretty, I've seen a lot of very creative and macabre ways that people end their lives. Not once in that time did I ever see anybody uh, try to kill themselves with a gun by shooting themselves in the chest. Not that it couldn't happen, but I think it's worth further investigation. And the, the sheriff out there, who is also the county coroner, apparently, uh, says he is going to continue looking into it. Well, I got some good news, and that is that uh, the Supreme Court has now ruled that, yes, in fact, the Trump administration can withhold funding, uh, these grants, law enforcement grants, uh, from sanctuary cities. This was a program that was started under Jeff Sessions, and it was immediately applied one of these uh, these nationwide injunctions from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals that kept it from going forward. And finally, the administration has got it uh, up to the appeals level, and uh, and they have got a ruling that says, yes, indeed, obviously, the federal government can withhold law enforcement grants from uh, cities and states that are refusing to cooperate with federal law enforcement. It's not rocket science. And, of course, this comes at the same time when Justice Sotomayor is criticizing uh, this administration in her dissents, in her rulings, for, uh, for appealing these lower courts' nationwide injunctions. And the president responded by saying that uh, Sotomayor and, as well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg should recuse themselves from cases involving the administration because they have both made statements against Trump and against this administration. Here's a clip of Ted Cruz talking about this very issue. Nearly one-third of the nationwide injunctions issued against the Trump administration have come from courts in the state of California. Two-thirds of the states, their district courts have issued a total of zero nationwide injunctions. So you have a handful of courts that are driving this problem. But to put it in, in perspective, in the eight years of the George W. Bush administration, district court issued a total of 12 universal injunctions against the Bush administration, 12 universal injunctions in eight years. In the eight years of the Obama administration, district courts issued 19 universal injunctions against the Obama administration. In just three years of the Trump administration, we have already had 55 national universal injunctions issued against the federal government. That is what has necessitated the Department of Justice going to the Supreme Court because I believe we have a handful of judges who are operating effectively as part of the resistance movement trying to put themselves in the way of Trump policies they happen to disagree with. And so I have to say I read Justice Sotomayor's complaint about, gosh, we're getting all of these emergency appeals at the Supreme Court. I read it a little bit like an arsonist complaining about the noise from the fire trucks. The reason there are so many emergency appeals is you've had 55 nationwide injunctions from far too many judges who are not honoring their oath they're not following the law instead they're operating as partisan political activists and more than anything else what they're trying to do is keep this administration from securing the borders because the democrats 
uh, scheme, their their uh, strategy for the future is to replace American voters with uh, a, a group of voters that is more receptive to the socialism that the Democrat Party is now peddling. And this is most certainly a, a, a public security, a public safety issue. And the, the president and the administration are perfectly right that when we get one of these partisan resistance judges step in and make rulings that are totally contrary to law simply to advance this leftist ideology, when it's a public safety issue, the administration is perfectly correct to apply for a, an expedited ruling from the Supreme Court in order to protect lives in this country. You know, for the uh, last, I guess it was last week, the president made a statement as he was headed to India that he was the chief law enforcement officer in this country. And that just prompted a, a meltdown headlines, front page headlines in the, in the so-called uh, papers of record and, and on the cable channels. How dare Donald Trump call himself the nation's chief law enforcement officer? I'm actually, I guess, the chief law enforcement officer of the country. You're the president of the United States, the chief law enforcement officer in America. And this is, this is a clip that uh, was put together to illustrate the fact that prior to this, they had admitted that, yes, in fact, the president was the chief law enforcement officer. As the chief law enforcement officer of the United States, which the president is, by the way. The president is the chief law enforcement officer of the United States. The president of the United States is the chief law enforcement officer. That is what he is. And here we have a president. And look, Wolf, I know he is the chief law enforcement officer in the country. Our president, our chief law enforcement officer. Donald Trump is, of course, the chief law enforcement officer of the United States. So that goes on and on. It just illustrates uh, how... They're willing to just spin on their heels and contradict themselves from one day to the next. Whatever it takes to try to criticize this president, they will just ignore any statements they had made previously and turn right around and accuse him of, of just the opposite. Well, that takes us to the end of another edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you for joining us. I want to welcome all of the new listeners. And invite you back here again tomorrow, right here on the Mojo Five O Radio Network, for another edition. We'll talk to you then. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is what's the word? Delightful, because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. If you have thyroid eye disease and the pain in the back of your eye is forcing bad words from your mouth, it might be time to discover another treatment option. To learn more, visit TreatMyTed.com. That's TreatMyTed.com.